Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we are going to be talking about all things QA, SDET, SETI. We're going to cover a few things because there's a lot of terms out there. And we are joined by Preeti Siddharaman to help us with some of these terms and just give us a little more depth into this. Preeti, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Sure, Ryan. Thank you. Um, hi, I'm Preeti Sita Raman. I work as an engineering manager at Netflix. Recently transitioned to the manager role. Um, I was working as a test engineer prior to this. And uh, my favorite happy hour beverage is Cosmopolitan. I just love it. But unfortunately, I do not have it right now. I'm just drinking some water this afternoon. I am drinking water along with you. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we can give introductions of panelists. Jem, you want to start off? Jem Young, uh, engineering manager at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix, which is kind of cool. We're all managers all at managers. Netflix. <laughs> and we've all worked together quite a bit too. So this this should be a fun episode, really going deep on the SDET role. So that, that'll be fun. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Automation. automation. All right. So if we say the word automation, we will all take a drink. So let's jump in. I want to start right off the hop. Let's kind of clarify some of these terms. Because when we talk QA, SDET, SETI, there, there's all these terms thrown around that are people are testing code. I, I want to better understand, like, how do we define each of those roles? Because they are different. There's unique terms, like those terms refer to different pieces of testing. Preeti, you're probably the best one to help define this. So I'm going to throw that one to you. Yes, Ryan. Um, there is always a confusion between people on what to say and what to call or what to have a title when you are a test engineer. So uh, let me start with SETI because SETI is uniquely set and SETI is software engineer for tools and infrastructure. So that itself defines what they are entitled to do. They usually work on uh, creating tools and uh, test infrastructures for other engineers. When I say other engineers, it could be a dev engineer or a test engineer. Um, but at the same time, uh, these engineers are not very close to the product. They are mostly working on the infrastructure and architecture to make sure that the testing architectures are good and uh, stable and making sure that the tools that we create uh, to, to present all the failures and bugs are all in shape uh, to make the lives of other test engineers and dev engineers easy to validate debug and make sure that the product they are pushing to production is in a very good stable state. So I would say SETI is a very important role to make sure that these things align well um, but at the same time, uh, there is also some test engineers who work on this. Uh, they will, when you look at it, it will be like juggling too much between too many things. So usually it's always better to have a SETI role separated from the role of a test engineer. And that would actually give more leverage for SETI to look at things that are missing, the gaps that, are, that needs to be filled to make sure that the lives of devs and test engineers is better and easy. Now coming to SDEV. This is fairly a new terminology being used in the software industry, uh, but I would say most of the test engineers are preferring this title. Uh, the reason is SDEV is Software Development Engineer in Test. So it's very, very close to what a dev engineer is, except that um, the engineers are working in a test infrastructure. Um, they actually closely work with product, make sure they, uh, they do manual and automation testing. Well, take a drink. Cheers. And Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So they work to develop uh, better tests and also sometimes try to improve test infrastructure. They work very closely with devs to make sure that devs understand what kind of uh, tests or use cases need to be uh, in, in the uh, testing infrastructure, uh, how better to make uh, flaky tests manageable. Uh, so it's overall a complete set of complete uh, testing process is owned by SDEVs. Um, so I would say when you are talking to a test engineer, um, 
they could either be on a SETI role or a SJ role. Uh, but there is also another title that is QA. In the software industry, it's mostly interchangeable estate and QA, but I've seen that test engineers prefer themselves to be called an estate because a QA is a quality assurance engineer, which means that they're only manually evaluating the product to make sure that everything looks good before it's pushed to production. So I've seen that most of the test engineers do not want themselves to be called a QA, because they are very proud that they are able to do automation. They, they love working on coding and they are very closely working just like a developer. Uh, they are putting in a lot of efforts there. They are context switching. They are learning new skill set, new technologies to make sure that our testing infrastructure is great. Um, they're constantly evolving by improving their skill set. So they would they would not want themselves to be called just a QA, but they would prefer themselves to be called a test engineer or an SDET. So it, that's just, that does clarify all the terms. Oh my God, so well. <laughs> like I was like, I mean, I knew all these things, but I think you like, you just clarified it so well for everyone that I'm like, yep, not much more to add. And I love that even just hearing that people's titles, like they're, they care more about like, because it better describes them between that SDET and QA role, which makes a ton of sense to me. It's like, as an SDET, it's not to say that you're likely not going to do some quote unquote manual work, but it's like, you're, you're likely, that's not the bulk of the work. It's like, yeah, if I have to manually test something, I'm going to do it because I'm, I'm testing to make sure things work properly. But if I can automate it, then that scales better. And that's like more in which my brain is kind of thinking about it. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. I like that. So I think like for ease, uh, we will use the term SDET from probably most of the episode is what we're talking about is like more that like software engineer dedicated in tests, which makes so much sense to me. Like I know SETI, yeah, a little more on the tooling and infrastructure side. Yes, so yes, I can always say an SDET can do manual testing, but uh, and so is part of QA role, but a QA is not part of an estate role. So, hmm. yeah. That makes sense. And does the term like black box testing still get used? Like that one always, I don't really like it because it, it didn't really define that well, but I'm curious if that gets still interchangeably because that was more to the manual testing, correct? Yes. So there are different terminologies even in that, like black box, white box and gray box testing. Those are not being used right now, but I've seen many companies use it, at least in job descriptions, that they should be able to do gray box or white box or black box testing. Um, at least in Netflix, we have not been uh, using those terminologies. Anymore. Yeah, I haven't heard it in many years. Like I feel like yeah. it was, and that's why I was curious. I'm like, maybe it's just like fizzled out of the industry or it's like, yeah, like definitely haven't heard it in Netflix or even previous companies I've been at. It's like, I feel like it's a really old term. There are so, some companies using it. I would not say it's gone forever, but at least uh, recently I've not come encountered any of those uh, term terminologies in my job. At that makes they're, sense. And they're useful for describing how, like the theory of testing, which mm. like it's its own testing, it's its own field. And they are useful terms to understand that. Like you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to write a test. That means nothing. Uh, okay. As Preeti and Ryan, like we've all had discussions on the team level about what are we testing? How are we doing it? And I don't think most people put that much thought into it. They're like, oh, yeah, I only have a finite number of hours. I should understand what type of tests are needed at this particular level. So yeah, I think the terms are still useful, but I think software engineers don't think about testing on even that level, which is something we can get into a, a little bit Which later. I think like, they maybe, should. Maybe we should. Like, we should be yeah. doing better. Like, because it's not, it's not all on the, like... It's not all on the SETI, the QA, or the SDET, like to just pick up all the slack. It's like when you are writing code as the developer, you should absolutely be thinking about that or or collaborating with like how the testing is actually going to happen. So which kind of actually leads into a really good segue of like when when is the right time if you if I'm a developer and I'm working alongside a SDET, when's the right time to pull them into a project? Is it is it right at the end or is it like start middle? Like, is there a, a, an appropriate time to start collaborating? Um, if you ask me, a test engineer should always be involved from the start of the project, like kickoff. 
because an engineer needs to understand uh, the requirements well in order to even plan the execution. So having a test engineer during kickoff not only benefits the engineer, but also the product design and, you know, um, and other uh, engineers on the team who are part of the kickoff. Because uh, at least I feel like a test engineer has this immense wealth of knowledge about the product. So they can contribute uh, on or like provide ideas and suggestions on how to shape the product better. And if these ideas and suggestions are provided in initial phase, it's easier for the design and product to pivot or to make adjustments to the initial requirements rather than waiting till the end and then involving test engineers and then getting those suggestions and ideas. Um, I can actually provide examples on how uh, a test engineer can have ideas and suggestions on a product. Like if there is a flow, what if a flow is different on a, on a given platform versus the platform that was presented? So these kind of things a designer might not be able to immediately know because they might not go and look in each and every platform the product is on. Um, like not all pages might be there on each, each platform. And if we have a certain new feature that's going through a, a, a particular page, then what about the platform that doesn't even have that page? Second thing is if there is copy involved, what about localization where there are some languages that are like really long? Do we stick to that copy in English because it is smaller? What happens if it overflows? So mm -hmm. something to think about that. And there are certain platforms where we already have some kind of known issues. Um, like if I give examples on iOS, if we are not if you are not allowed to use certain uh, sites, name of some sites, and that's how we want to promote some feature on other platforms. And if it is also going to be ported to iOS, what do we do there? How do we promote the feature without actually mentioning those site names? So these kind of questions. We can definitely rely on the dev, but if a test engineer is involved, I think they will be able to think more and also provide solutions because they've been working on these kind of products and they've seen like what changes they've made or like what are the other things they have introduced just because the platform was not uh, very user very friendly for that feature. So. Uh, not only uh, pick, picking out issues, but I feel like test engineers come up with solutions and options for the design and product to think about uh, how to make changes to the product. So definitely try and involve test engineers as early as possible during kickoff or even brainstorming for a product. And that would help us uh, minimize the time delay in making changes and we can start the product sooner than later. I couldn't agree more. I think like I've seen so many failures where test engineers are brought in at the last, like nearing the end when yeah. like so many times it's, it's probably cost us so much because of that factor. Like we've yeah. missed things or not thought them through. I think the same goes for like, we, we often think like design and product, like when, when we're working in like product that you're building, a lot of it is design and product PMs are working to like think through a feature and I think engineering is is sometimes late to the game, but for some reason, like no matter what, at the end of the day, it's always test engineers are the final, final uh, piece of it. And so I think bringing everyone who needs to be involved across that life cycle, when you bring them up sooner rather than later, they're thinking through things that not everyone else is. And I, I think yes. that that, I mean, I've worked with you for years, Preeti. I've seen like so many times where like, wow, I'm glad she brought that up. Like I never even thought of that. Or it's all these like little edge cases that you're very intimate with the product and you understand it. And yeah. so you're catching things that others wouldn't. So I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's the right time as soon as possible. I think a lot of engineers and assets uh, in general don't, they're not the most liked role on a team, it, like hist historically in software engineering, because it's usually the test engineer who's saying, you can't do that or yes. no, uh, that's not the right way to build something. And like, which is, I guess, a negative or a lot of, a lot of software engineers view as, as a negative, like someone's telling me what to do. 
but it's like no they they are helping you from shooting yourself in the foot down the road so like listen to them but yeah in my experience just they assets have not got enough respect in the industry for being experts at what they do because no one thinks about the actual user experience especially user software engineers we think about how cool can we build it what new technology can we use all this cool stuff that you could brag about but like once it's shipped people are like whatever Yes. Uh, well, but it's so much more important, right? Yes, like when it shipped, yeah. it's like that it actually works. Well, yes. That's why it makes no sense that they don't get respect. <laughs> it's like, what are you building it for? For your own, yes. for your own self, for your for fun? You're building for users. Why not listen to a person who's an expert on how users are actually going to use it? Or the fact that. that we ship code like perfect, right, Jam? Like yeah. always. Like developers are always no bugs, nothing. <laughs> I have never written a bug in my life. Ever. <laughs> ever. Lock that, Jim. <laughs> yeah, quote, quote me on that. <laughs> That's why he's moved to management now. He's like, I'm done. I've, I'm done, I have yeah. not, I, I've yeah. solved this. Yeah, what yeah. else is there? I don't write and you're never anymore. going to write a bug as well. Like, there's no, no, nobody you're going to introduce anymore. <laughs> but the, the thing that you said is so true, because I remember for one of the project I was, I joined in the third uh weekly meeting and I was not not part of the first two so when I joined in the third and I was looking at the designs I come like I changed 70 percent of it and the designer was like where were you in the last two weeks <laughs> I was like okay I was not involved because I was not uh, you know I was not part of the project I think I moved to that project after couple of weeks because I was working on a previous project but that's exactly and sometimes even I feel guilty like I've come in a little late and I'm changing so many things but I have to do it if I if I stop myself then it's not going to be helpful for the product so yeah sometimes we have to do that and we bite the gun and we do that so yeah you know another thing that you know we've talked a little bit about Netflix in general one thing that I found very unique when I joined Netflix was Estats are embedded within the team. Yeah. I do not think I've ever experienced that at any other company that I've worked at. Usually it is like there is a test QA, whatever we want to call it, a team that's dedicated to that. And there might be multiple teams that are dedicated that support like different platforms, whatever it is. Yeah. But I became a big fan of having the embedded estate. I would love to kind of hear both of your thoughts on it too. Like, I'm just going to say I'm a fan of it, but there's clearly obviously pros and cons to it. And I would love to kind of hear your thoughts uh, as well. I have worked on both the ways where uh, there was a separate test org and there's a separate dev org. And we had test engineering manager and dev engineering manager and mm -hmm. coming to Netflix this was also a culture different for me because I was working so closely with uh, dev engineers. And initially it was very tough for me to get into that model. Um, but now after working for so many years, I can say that this is the model that works, at least for me, like embedding the estates into the team. Uh, the reason I say that is it's very, very important for a dev and test engineer to have a close relationship and to think of the product together. Um, so they have the knowledge of what is the feature and how they're gonna to work together testing it. They work as a team and are part of a single arc. Uh, it's often a better communication. Pensioners are actually involved early in development cycle. Uh, they work side by side with developers um, and then uh, they learn quickly like what are the challenges and um, you know try and solve what are the blockers what are the issues there could be a lot of challenges not only in their team but also working with the back-end folks um, so all these things help um, they also work together and talk about their schedules uh, how they can align it together if there is if a test engineer is working on different product, how to make sure and, and uh, talk to the developers to uh, you know, provide some kind of test cases so that they can start testing early and then the, dev, the test engineer can join. So all these actually um, finally brings us to you know, provide quality product and that's what I have seen. But at the same time, there are some cons as well. Um, 
if you want to have like a organizational standards and in, ensure consistency in process uh, or like share tools and best practices among test engineers uh, it's very difficult to achieve that because every test engineer is very focused on a product testing and like working closely with the developers and they usually try and align things like what works for both of them together or like whatever devs are involved and test engineers involved whatever works for them and whatever works for that product or that feature at particular time, um, that's what they align towards instead of following a process or like making sure that, hey, let's not do this. Let's start with proper infrastructure. You know, it's very rare to see that. Um, there are people who do that, but the preference is to get the product out and get a, a quality product rather than uh, creating a process and following it. Um, so if we have like a test org, uh, we can always have that kind of a standard set and like process set to create that, um, you know, uh, autonomy for the quality efforts. Uh, so that's the thing I have seen that, and, you know, sharing tools as well, like uh, sharing features as well. A lot of times I keep seeing people adding those features that are already existing. Um, and when I'm a part of the review process, if I have already created those, I, I tell them. But if I'm not, then I really don't know how many people are redoing things and recreating the ones that we already have. So these are the cons I see. Um, I mean, any model, regardless, if there is a strong communication and collaboration, um, then it should definitely work. So I would not say like one is better or the other is worse. Um, but if you ask my preference, uh, embedding the test engineers in the team uh, work better for me because I've worked on both the uh, models before. Yeah, I like what you said though, too, with communication and, and working and strong collaboration, you can you can solve it like no matter what. But I think it's like, what are you prioritizing in the model of the embedded? It, for me, that I consider is you want strong relationship between the developer and the test yes. engineer. Like that's what you're optimizing for versus like a, a full on test team or org. You're thinking it more about what you said is like, having more of the tooling and, and, and more of the, like even scalability in your testing yes. that you're thinking about more strategically as a team. It's not to say that 10 teams that have uh, test engineers embedded could be working together to think strategically about that, yeah. but that takes a little more work to make That's sure true. that you're paying attention to that and doing that. Um, so I think it is possible, but I think it's just like, what are you trying to optimize for? And one con I've kind of felt, and I'm going to share is like, not with the embedded model, but with the like separate team mm -hmm. is I, I felt like that, that always to me ended up feeling more like you were throwing it over the wall. Yeah. It's like, it was more the us versus them mentality yeah. that kind of gets built up. I like, you know, code something and then, oh, that pesky S deck caught my bug. And like, it's telling me yeah. I need to fix this. I got a Jira ticket now for this. Like yeah. that it kind of, versus when it was like side by side, it feels more like you're creating it together. It just, yes. it just already changes that dynamic, which I felt is good. Another unique one, I don't think it's a pro or a con, but also coming into Netflix as a manager, I ha I'd never hired for SDET. That was a new thing. Like, yes. so, you know, I came from being more of a developer. I obviously worked a ton with test engineers over the years, but that was unique too. So that maybe even an S that wants to report into a manager has more depth in that space. And that could, that could be a con. And I guess that may be a con. Yeah. I mean, now I'm uh, trying to hire for an estate and I feel like I, uh, the other uh, peer managers are depending on me a lot to tell them even though they have some openings, they are depending on me to tell them like, what are the requirements? Uh, what are the gaps? And I, I am looking at those gaps and um, evaluating them and making sure that we do not have that in our future hires. Um, so definitely helps uh, in doing it 
uh, like, you know, understanding because I have done it personally and I know what the issues are and we don't want those to be repeated when we are hiring for new um, candidates or like new team members. So that definitely was a con, but you know, as you start hiring, I think we will figure it out. It's not, it's not like, hey, I completely don't understand now I need to hire and I really don't know what kind of an estate I need. Um, so that's, that's, that could be a con, but that can always be fixed. Uh, yeah. But I'm, uh, I'm, I totally agree to the fact that, um, you know, if, if there are separate orgs, then even um, when a dev is finished with their feature, they, I, I've seen them telling the product, like I'm done, now it's on the test engineering team. And uh, I've always seen like this, there's a blame game sometimes mm -hmm. where they say like, uh, we didn't delay the product, we, we showed all the bugs and they have not fixed it. And they are like, they didn't come up with bugs on time. So that's why we are not delaying the product. So there is a lot of blame game that goes in as well. Um, and that's not a healthy relationship for the product uh, as a whole. The blame game is is real. Uh, I think that's why the the embedded model is superior, because you form that relationships. And increasingly, like more and more so, one of my learnings as as being a new engineering manager is it's all about relationships. Mm -hmm. Software engineering is all about relationships, and it that that doesn't make any sense to to a lot of people. Uh, especially when you're younger and you're like, no, it's all about how well you can code and all these things. But it's like, sure, that's a given. That, that's that's the baseline for everybody. Everybody you're working with can code uh, their own specialties. It's about relationships and the viewpoints. For instance, I'm on a platform team. So I see the world as a platform and I see like patterns emerging in architecture. And I look at that really broadly versus a test engineer sees things as like, is this going to scale properly? Uh, is this testable? Is this accessible? Uh, whereas a software engineer is like, well, how can I build this faster? And how can I add features and all that? And we all have our viewpoints and our specialties that we're better at, but it's about these relationships and building trust between each other. So yeah, the, the embedded model is, is superior because like you build that trust and it's like, this isn't some random person who's just like trying to tank my day. They, yeah. they want the product to ship as much as you do. They just want it to be successful when it lands. And they care probably more than you do that it's successful in your lands. Yes. And it's like having that trust. That's really important. That's true. At least in Netflix, I've seen that developers lean on test engineers a lot. They trust them a lot. And when a test engineer says this thing would not work, they actually would not just disagree, but they talk to each other and say, let's make sure that this works. So what can we do? So there is a lot of um, support from dev engineers for test engineers and vice versa. So I always have always seen a healthy relationship. So you you actually just brought up in my mind what's a con of Estet, uh, which is I've seen developers been like, yeah, I don't have to worry about testing because there's an Estet who specializes in this, so they'll catch all my bugs and they don't put any effort into it, which is not how it works at all. Yes, but that's more and more what I've seen happen, yes. uh, which is a little unhealthy that software engineers aren't thinking about testing more. Yes. But yeah, what's your what's your take on that? And how do you prevent that? How do you just prevent engineers being like, ah, no, someone will catch it. Someone will catch my bugs. I'm not worried about it. So we, at least at Netflix, have tried not to put too many test engineers on every project. So, so developers do understand they are on their own, at least for a small to medium uh, level projects. And even for a lot bigger projects, we try to create test plan use cases at the beginning of the project and share it with the devs, review with them to make sure that they understand what are the test cases that they need to look at before it even comes to the test engineer. Um, so some of these things have worked. Um, recently, we have also made sure that the developers are triaging failures and providing the push go, no go. So they understand what goes into debugging those failures and trying to understand how those tests work um, and how maintainable or flaky those tests are. So they can actually pitch in and change those tests if they are not maintainable. So some of these efforts have actually 
proven to be successful. And right now, the dev, the, the dev engineers also understand what it takes to be a test engineer. And it's not just throwing stuff on test engineers and assuming that they will be the ones catching all the bugs. There is still room for improvement. I would not say we are 100% successful, but at least there is a start. I, I like that. That just makes for like a stronger collaboration where it, it, it's less that divide is there's no wall. Yes. It's like literally like this is a shared responsibility because at the end of the day, testing or building whatever is is coming together to ship a final product to your customers. And, th- and that, mm-hmm. that's the, the end state. And if it's broken, it's not built. Like it's not built well. It's like all these things. And it's everyone's responsibility to put something out there that's like well built and, and maintained scalable. It's like, so I like that shared mentality where it's like, how do we collaborate together and share and understand? Like, yeah. even like you said, Preeti is like coming up with those test plans up, up front and talking through them with each other to figure out who takes what, who's responsible for what. Maybe there's overlap where both of us are going to be looking at this. I'll take yeah. this, this, that. It, I love that. I think that makes for like a stronger relationship between two. I know one thing that I wanted to touch on too is probably going to bring up our keyword a bit too, which is fine, is uh, a lot of what comes into testing is, you know, we talked about scale and and a lot of scale is going to be, how do I automate this? Cheers. What tools go into that? So when you talk about tools, uh, I, as an estate, I do not actually use anything that like a tool that makes me test things. When we talk about scalability, when we are and we are working on different platforms, uh, there are a lot of um, dependencies on backend systems, like, you know, creating some endpoints. Um, I have seen that, especially with uh, web automation, we try start working on web automation and make sure that those endpoints are embedded in web automation alone. And then comes the other platforms like Android, iOS, TV. So the test engineer working on those have to create their own uh, tools again, or like try to make sure that these endpoints have all the security uh, access that's needed. And all. so that actually felt feels like too much time consuming because the, ultimately the functionality we are working on is the same. And we are trying to access the same endpoint in the backend system. So it's always good to create a, a tooling structure that is like a single point, um, you know, uh, used for that team instead of uh, contained to a separate platform, uh, t- talk about or think about it as a, a product as a whole and not platform specific. So uh, um, right now we are trying to create something like that. Like if we are working on an acquisition UI product, then maybe create like an acquisition UI testing or testing tool where we are talking to all those endpoints in a common point. And then all our platforms go talk to that common endpoint instead of going and individually talking to the backend system separately. Uh, So any, any security access or any issue that we need to deal with to access those endpoints will be taken care of by a single uh, automation uh, acquisition tool instead of each platform's dealing with separately. So always thinking about those things um, it helps us with scalability. Uh, otherwise, I've seen that each test engineer is going and talking to the backend engineer separately and trying to implement things on their own way. And if it breaks in one platform, it is sure to break on others but people don't have time to fix the others. So only one platform is fixed. The others are marked as known because they know it's broken. And it's just so much of confusion. Um, So always think of it as a product rather than a platform specific. And that's how we scale our uh, test infrastructure. I love that. That makes so much sense. And I know even just like where I've seen things fail is like even when one test engineer like writes a method to to do like create an account let's say mm-hmm. and then like five others have done the same thing but yeah. there's there's like some nuance that's just a little bit different and so even your like tests like one test isn't passing but the other is and it's really comes down to like how the test was written, like in the code that there's just this discrepancy, which then you're kind of getting these flaky tests that 
you, you don't know, like, should I trust this? Is this correct? It's like, yeah. is it actually something wrong? So that makes a ton of sense to me. It's like just common patterns and being having the single endpoint or yeah. single tool that, that, that you're all working off of for, for not just one platform for multiple yeah. platforms. As possible. Um, don't depend on backend systems and try to <laughs> use mock UIs or like, you know, um, so try why not Preeti? Why not? Because if, Backend system is breaking in a test environment. That's not going to block the UI to move forward to go into release and pro uh, production. But because of backend systems, are if the tests are failing, the test engineer or the dev engineer triaging those failures will not have enough confidence to move forward because they have to run every test locally to make sure that hey, is this the backend failure? If the backend is working, would UI has had worked? So that is like a manual decision they're taking. Instead, instead of relying on the backend systems, if we don't and separate those two, the UI and the backend or the API, at least the UI's life will make it easier because we do know for sure UI will work. It's just the backend that is failing and that is not gonna block us from going to production and uh, we are not delaying our pushes. So, and also I've seen that backends are mostly flaky for some reason, because they depend on a lot of services that could be down or that could be slow. You won't have enough instances like production, especially in test environment to scale things up. And if some product or some feature needs that kind of scaling, it will be very uh, local to that feature. And, and you know, it, things can change and it can break anytime. So it's always good to not depend too much on backend systems and think of UI as a separate entity and move forward. I, I like what you said about standardization, essentially. So there's not 50 different people talking to the same person being like, hey, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this. In, in my experience, in my years, there's no way to have a healthy, a healthy conversation and a healthy testing environment without standardization. Like you just, yeah. there's no other way around it. You can't have 50 different ways to write a test. You can't have 300 different types of tests. Uh, there's just you, which is, which is what keeps people away from doing it because like you have to coordinate and you have to pay the coordination tax and how to write tests and how to structure them and how they're going to run. But a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want to like, well, I wrote a unit test and I wrote it in uh, R spec uh, because that's what I know. And I'm like, well, we don't run, we don't want Ruby on our, our system. We'll make it work. And then like you have another system maintain and yeah. the, the drumbeat that I feel you can tell when your organization is healthy is how often can you deploy with confidence? That's honestly. a good point. With confidence. <laughs> with confidence. Yeah. I mean, you can deploy anytime. We could deploy, I can hit the button <laughs> yeah. deploy right now. <laughs> if you were to deploy right now, how confident do you feel that those tests, that those changes are going to work and there's not gonna be any bugs in them? Mm -hmm. If you're like, ah, a little shaky, then that's a sign like you don't have enough tests. And, and that's what tests give you. They give you confidence yeah, that confidence. you didn't break anything and nothing is broken along the way. Uh, that's the way I measure everything is how often can we deploy? I like that. Yeah. And confidently. And confidently. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a probably a good time to hop into picks. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to share things that we found interesting, want to share with all of you. So let's jump in. Jim, what picks do you have for us this episode? I've got uh, two picks. One is, uh, this was shared for me by uh, one of my friends, but it's 100 tips for a better life. And you all know me, I am pretty um, critical. Uh, some say cynical, but uh, I, I prefer the term critical of uh, life and generic vague advice, you know, like our parents are, are good for like, don't spend it all in one place and like, you know, generic life advice like this, but these are 100 tips for a better life, which I genuinely find useful. In fact, uh, in, in these 100 tips, I think number 27 is the one I'm trying to live to this year. And number 27 is about success. And it says uh, Discipline is superior to motivation. The former can be trained, the latter is fleeting. You won't be able to accomplish great things if you're only relying on motivation, which I know that's pretty vague, but it, it's very true. I, I look at myself and I, I rely on a lot of motivation. Like when the mood strikes me is when I get stuff done and I do it well, it, it's worked pretty well for me. But if I were disciplined, uh, 
that's the only way to accomplish things. And, and that's what I've relied on a lot during COVID where we're stuck at home. It's really easy to get distracted by things. And the only way I, I've been able to accomplish anything is just, I sit down, I'm like, I'm gonna spend an hour doing this and I do it. And that's it. And that's the only way I've getting it done. Cause if I relied on motivation, it'll never happen. But there's so much good advice in here. I, I every time I read through these, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is good. Wait, I'll just pick a random one. Oh, I like this one. Compliment people more. Many people think have trouble thinking of themselves as smart, pretty, or kind unless told by someone else. You can help them out. And that's like such an easy one too. And I do try to do that. It's like, hey, nice job in that meeting. Nice job in that presentation. Hey, I really like the way you wrote this out. It takes no effort on our part, but you can change so much in other people. Anyways, I won't go on about this vlog. I really encourage you all to read it. Just read like one or two. And if, if they're not good, they're not good. That's fine. But uh, I guarantee you'll find some wisdom in here somewhere. My second pick is, it's the, it's the part of the show called uh, Valley Silicon. And that's where I pick things that are, well, I don't know why they exist. They're so ludicrously expensive and they only exist because we here in Silicon Valley get paid too much money and we're just perpetuating this wild consumer cycle. So my pick today is, uh, let me ask you all, as I like to do, how much would you pay for a face mask? You know, those things that we all wear, probably have a million of them laying around the house. How much would you pay for, we'll call it a premium face mask. Uh, like a premium one, like twenty, thirty dollars. Well, I have paid more. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Freethi. I actually, I mean, don't judge me, but I actually matched my Diwali outfit with the mask. I wanted to. So I, I respect that though. Like there was like a, sure, there was sure. a good reason for it. Yes. Hey, we're not able to show off anything. Like show off at least a mask that uh, matches with your outfit. So yeah, I've paid around 80 to 100 bucks. Okay. I really that's, wanted that. So, yeah. That's a lot, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, fashion is what fashion is. So this ma this uh, face mask is called the Zuper Mask. It, it should be super, but it's spelled with an X instead. And it retails for the low price of $300. Oh. No. <laughs> and for $300, you get uh, a HEPA-filtered air mask it has usb charging i think it has audio too built in but you know i, I don't even know I, I don't, why do you need a usb charger oh no because <laughs> it's got the hepa filter the in filter? it like i think yeah okay. i mean I think. It, looks, it looks cooler than a normal mask i'll give them that but it's 300 i i don't know i question why you would spend that much on a mask as we know there's a limit to the efficacy of wearing a mask in general yes like a mask is a mask, generally speaking. Um, but hey, you know what? This exists. And if you want to be fashionable, you want to have a <laughs> Zuper mask, it's $300. And that is why this, today's Valley Silicon pick. I, I don't know if I agree that. It, I mean, it looks kind of cool, but it looks like too much. Like I, fe I feel like I would not feel comfortable wearing it. So like, it looks like there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I don't Something know. Something you are not going, you should not be reusing. I would never spend so much. You well, this one, you, this one would be you'd reuse. Like, there's definitely that. And I, oh, there is headphones that connect to this thing. Okay. Because so, I need, I need headphones on my mask. <laughs> <laughs> this wouldn't work for me because I, I have a beard, and I think any men with facial hair, this mask wouldn't work at all. So, that's. It's something yeah that's why it I has a it. it has a built-in mic too just say i don't why know maybe because now you can take phone calls on it headphone mic right like i don't know I, i'm just just pointing it out with mask uh people have a tough uh, people are really uh, having a tough time understanding and uh, i've seen usually people ask like twice like what do you say or like what did you mean um, so maybe these these things will be uh, solved. So, so what you're saying, Preeti, is it needs to have the mic and then speakers. It needs yeah. speakers, not headphones. <laughs> yes, especially uh, when you're talking. You know, you, when you're indoors and you don't want to take out your mask and you're talking and it's like too noisy around, then maybe it will come handy. Who knows? All right, now you're thinking, maybe Preeti's selling this product more. I love She's it. selling V2. I already. am not buying it. <laughs> I already regret buying those fancy masks. 
because I don't wear them the second time because I have to wash them and I don't want to wash them because some some have blinks. So <laughs> like, I've already wasted enough of my money on these fancy masks. I'm not going anymore for it. Well, I mean, Preeti, thank you for sharing that you you've purchased these expensive masks. That's awesome. No judgment here. We don't we don't no. judge on the show. <laughs> Only Gem judges on these Only I judge. specific yeah. products. Yeah. Gem does. <laughs> All right, Preeti, what kind of pics do you have to share? I actually don't because right now all my um, research is going on what kind of baby items I need and what, what kind of security I need to look at, like what is safe. Um, so most of my reading is going in there. Um, have you found so any good products? We have a lot of parents out there that like, and there's always better ones. Like I have like going through a second child, I'm like, oh, wow, that's way better than the first time, you know, so there's upgrading and things like that that you can do. I have been in a shock, actually, Ryan, the amount of things that have changed from when I had my baby uh, uh, before is like, I have no clue, like these things actually exist and are even needed for a baby. For uh, sure. That's the thing is like, do you need it? It's probably yeah. not, but you're like, that seems legit. It's not even legit. It looks so fancy. I really want them. I'm like, I'm not <laughs> shopping for the baby. It's more like I'm shopping for myself. I really like the look of it. Or I really like the function of it. Like I was looking at this um, rock, rocker swinger chair that has like five different motions and I feel like they can, they should make one for the moms as well. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, like a dual everything. one. It's like mom sleeping and yeah, baby sleeping. I know, right? Like, why didn't they not think about mom when they're making it for the baby? <laughs> moms need it too. New moms, especially. Like you Especially because you have to learn how to sleep. Like you, you're like, you have these moments where the baby sleeps and you're exhausted. Yeah. So you're like, I got to sleep right now too. And yeah. so, yeah, that, I love this idea. Let's just yeah, create together. it. <laughs> together with the baby, <laughs> sit in the next seat and like press that button that works for both of them. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I was, I'm still debating to get that. I'm like this close to getting it and <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we'll be curious maybe to hear like what your recommendations are after you've purchased some of these. Maybe that's what we have to revisit after the fact. Yes. Um, that's great. Well, I have I have two picks and none of them baby related. Um, kind of ones like technology-ish. Uh, oh no, it is baby related and tech. I'm going to say that you can, if you have kids, you need this. All right. I'll start there is there is this thing called the bristle little green. It's like a vacuum like cleaner thing. I swear you need it if you have kids, but you probably need it anyways. Cause like as an adult, I've spilt many things, but like this thing literally will like red wine will get picked up off of carpet. Like there's all these things that like, it does such a good job. And so, yeah, Preeti, you're probably going to need it for the baby spit up for all the fun stuff. Yeah. It's, it's totally worth it. I've, I've seen other parents recommend it, but like it works on couches, like chairs, carpets, bedding, whatever it is, those hard to get stains off of. And it works really, really well. So I recommend it. Oh, pets are another good one. That's a good reason to have it too. Did you ever stop and think, that of yourself 20 years ago, you know, a young punk still trying to make his way in the world. Think of yourself now that you're recommending a vacuum cleaner. I just want to <laughs> No, no, but do you know what? There was times when I was a teenager that I would like spill, whether it be wine or who knows, like some colored drink, having people over when I wasn't supposed to have people over. <laughs> and that, sh that shit would have helped. Like I would have been yes. able to clean up the mess without getting in trouble. So my past me, I wish was thinking through those things ahead of time. So, but I agree where you're headed, Jem. I would not have thought I, you would have asked me even like 10 years ago. I'd probably been like, no, nah, I wouldn't think of that. But I am highly recommending it. You need one in your house. They're great. Leave it plugged um, in when you invite friends and that will be a self-service. If they spill it, they clean it. They clean it up. <laughs> I mean, it's so easy that it's probably like, you know, just do it. It's, it's yeah. pretty quick and, and easy. And they will be um, impressed and they will be going and buying one more. <laughs> right. I, sh I should get commission on this. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then my second one is a weird thing it's a it's a beach towel it's, it's summertime so we're all like doing things like going outside hanging out especially now covid's a little bit better uh to hang out and do that but 
putting a towel on the beach is always a pain in the ass. Like it just gets covered with sand immediately. There's this company called SandCloud Towel that they basically sell that it doesn't really get that sticky sand feel to it. Like it, it's kind of like the way it's made, it doesn't really hold sand. Of course, sand will fall on it a bit, but it just doesn't like really hold on to it. You just pick it up and it's, it's not there. I was pretty impressed. I needed a new like sit down towel for the beach. And so I, I came across this and I've tried it a few times and I've been impressed with it and it's not super Valley Silicon prices. So it's okay that way too. Kind of, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a cheap towel. I mean, it depends on the size too, that you're going for, hmm. but it works. So and there's no Bluetooth on it. There's no USB. Wow. So yeah, it might not be that great. Does it light up? It doesn't light up. No, I still have to wear a different mask when you are using yep, that. Yeah, you're still going to have to buy the expensive mask that Jem suggested. It, yeah. you know, it doesn't cover you there. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, using fitted sheets instead of uh, towels and then using like four corners of a basket or something. So it's that the sand doesn't come in to the beach. Inside, That's like, not a bad idea, but I feel weird sheet. taking like a sheet to the to the uh, beach. Like yeah. I would feel a little weird. <laughs> Sorry to anyone who's doing that, but I would feel a little bit weird. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Preeti, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on, just like really educating us more in depth on the SDET role. Where can people find you? Uh, thank you, Ryan. Um, this was fun. Um, and I was really uh, happy to share my knowledge and and also learn from you both how how you have worked with test engineers and what are the challenges you have seen. Um, and th- so thank you so much for inviting me. I am on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is PTC Raman. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, my LinkedIn name is PTP Sita Raman uh, because I have different last names and I, I pick and choose which last name to use where <laughs> for obvious I love reasons. it <laughs> but yeah um, find me and I will be happy to talk to you, any one of you if you have any questions about any test engineering roles or anything that, about Netflix too I'll be happy to share Right on. Well, and thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at FrontendHH or FrontendHappyHour.com or really wherever you like to listen to podcasts, you can subscribe. Also, if, if you want, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And if it's a good podcast, leave us a review. Any last words? Jem's too busy buying the mask. I, I see him like putting it in his cart. He's, he's going ahead. Like, hmm, but people are really going to think I'm cool wearing this mask. <laughs> people think you're already cool Jim you don't have to wear that mask <laughs> <laughs> but I want to be cooler I want to be like Instagram Ryan cool 